Welcome again to Lakeshore. We're so glad that you're with us today. It is a joy to have this time together. Uh, on Father's Day. Uh, welcome to the Smyrna campus. We're glad, we're glad you guys are connecting with us. Anybody connecting with us online or through the podcast, we're so glad you're joining us today too. We are in a series in the book of James, uh, and James is such a practical book. It is, we call this series a blueprint uh, for making faith work, and, and James teaches us just practical steps to take, practical things we need to know and apply to our lives so that our faith will be lived out the way God wants it to be lived out, and that gives us the ability to have the impact that God wants us to have in the world. And today we're going to be talking about one of the most practical things of all, and I've entitled this message, Tame Your Tongue. It's found in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, if you want to be opening up to that or pulling it up on your smartphone or tablet. Uh, there was a young uh, boy who watched his mom putting cold cream on her face at night before they were getting ready for bed. He was fascinated by it. So he asked her, Mom, uh, why are you putting that on your face? And she said, well, it's to make myself beautiful. He said, okay. And now, a few minutes later, she took a tissue and started wiping it off. And he said, Mom... Did you give up? <laughs> Our words can get us in trouble, can't they? The use of the tongue is so, so critically important to our ability to have the impact and the influence that God wants us to have. We can use it for some really good things, but we can also use it in ways that hurt. And, and, and one of the sayings we're taught as kids, or used to be taught as kids, was this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words can never hurt me. What a lie. What a lie. Friends, words can hurt. They can cut deep into our heart and soul. And, and dads, if you're here and moms too, you know your children can be the greatest source of blessing in your life, but sometimes they can hurt you the most too because you love them so much. And sometimes their words or their reactions or their responses can really hurt deeply in your lives. But it's not just our kids, it's, it's sometimes our parents speaking to us, sometimes it's our friends that, that aren't loyal. It's just so many ways words can be used to, to tear down, but words we want to see today also can be used for great good, to build up and encourage. But we have to be careful with it. Proverbs 18, 21 said this, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So if we can be careful with our tongue, then it can be a source of life-giving encouragement to the people around us. But if we misuse the tongue, our speech, it can also bring hurt and destruction and death to the people around us. I'm reminded of an older couple. They were on the couch, and the wife was sitting there. The husband was stretched out with his head in her lap. And she reached down gently and took his glasses off and said, Honey... Without your glasses, you look like the same handsome young man that I married. He looked lovingly up at her and said, Honey, without my glasses, you look pretty good too. <laughs> you see how it can turn on you real fast, right? What was going to be a good thing turned into a not so good thing. That's when the fight broke out. So you got to be careful with the use of the tongue. So let's see what James has to say. I just want to read through these, first, uh, these 12 verses in chapter 3. Just read straight through. Follow along with me if you would. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what, he sa in what they say is perfect. Okay? So here's how I know this sermon is for everybody. 
How many of you are perfect here today? Don't raise your hand because that would just reveal how imperfect you are. Okay. All right. So here, here's what he goes on to say. All right. We, we put, he says, we all stumble in many ways. Whoever, uh, anyone who's never at fault, what he uh, says is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check. When we put uh, bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I want to break this down into, into several categories here. The first one is this. It is the positive power of the tongue. Because even though this is written as a warning, included in that warning is the understanding of the potential for the positive use of our speech, of our tongue. Uh, it, it's in there if we can harness it the way we need to. The first thing I see that he talks about beginning in verse 1 is the tongue has the power to instruct the power to instruct. Listen to what he says again in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now that's a warning, but he's not saying nobody should teach. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, but you need to think about the power that comes with teaching. Now here he's talking about teaching in the church, uh, teaching scripture uh, as the primary thing. But, but we all teach all the time by our lives, by our example, by our words. We're always teaching. Everybody is. But he's saying be careful about putting yourself out there as a teacher, making that what you choose to be and be seen as a teacher because teachers are going to be judged more strictly. But here's why there's stricter judgment for teachers. It's because... It's such a powerful thing to teach others. Uh, as a pastor, I have my whole ministry understood and been humbled by the fact that, that when I teach other people, and I get to teach hundreds and hundreds of people over the years, thousands of people, and, and when I realize that, I understand that it's expected of me that I take this seriously and do the best possible job I can because it has the potential to have such influence to, to change and mold people's lives. But it's not just someone up front on stage. He's talking about teaching in a classroom or teaching in your own home or teaching on the ball field if you're a coach. I mean, we're all teaching all the time. So he's saying understand the powerful potential there is there when you teach, I'll bet everybody in the room probably can name one or two teachers in your life that have had huge impact on you, 
in a positive way. But I'll also bet we could all tell a story or two about one or two bad teachers we had along the way too, right? I mean, we've had both. Almost everybody has had both in their lives. So he's warning us to be careful that we have the positive influence, the positive impact that God wants us to have with the teaching opportunities that God gives us. Now, he is also warning about, about teaching in the church and how you shouldn't you know, choose to do that for Christ if you're not going to take it seriously because he's going to hold us accountable for how we handle that. And not everybody should be a teacher because not everybody is going to take it as seriously as they should and do what God wants them to do with that responsibility. So he's not saying don't be a teacher. He's saying be careful to understand the power of the teaching that God gives you the privilege to do. And make sure you're good stewards of that responsibility that God gives you as a teacher. I'm so grateful for the teachers we have here at Lakeshore that teach in the schools and that teach here at the church. Uh, the, the impact that you're having is tremendous, and it's a, it's a hard job. It's one of the hardest jobs in the world. But I'm thankful we've got teachers here who understand and, and respect the awesome responsibility that it is. And try to honor God with how they do what they do as teachers. I'm so grateful for the teaching we have here at Lakeshore. And in the schools through our teachers that are part of our church family here. But it goes beyond that. Uh, as parents, dads, this is Father's Day. One of the most awesome privileges and yet awesome responsibilities at the same time is that of teaching our children. What a great challenge that is. And today's culture with all that they are having to hear and see around them all the time that is so far away from God and God's will and God's plan and God's purpose for their lives, it becomes more important than ever that, that parents are teaching their children the way God wants us to, to, to take on that responsibility and do it well. You remember back in Deuteronomy, I've used this verse uh, before with baby dedications because it is such a great reminder. God is, is telling the parents before they enter into the promised land that God is going to give them and, and raise their kids there. He's reminding them of the important role of teaching those children. It says in Deuteronomy 6, beginning with verse 6, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. That word impress is a powerful word in the Hebrew. It means make that strong impression on them. Now, you can't do that with just words and make the impression that God wants you to make. That requires not just the words, but the actions with it to make the impression that God wants you to make with teaching your children the way you need to. He says, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. You see, it, it's a lifestyle. It's an ongoing thing. Look for teachable moments. I, I wish I could go back and, and do some things over again, don't you, if your children are already grown, and you can look back and think about, man, I missed that. That was such a teachable moment, and I didn't catch it at the time, and I wish I could go back and do it again. But you can't go back and do it again, but you could start where you are and, and go from there, being reminded look for those teachable moments don't let them slip by make sure you take advantage of those opportunities to impress God's teaching on your children your grandchildren the other people that you have influence over in your life second Timothy 3 uh, verses 16 and 17 we find something about the greatest tool we have for that teaching here's what he says all scripture is God breathed and it's useful for what are these things teaching 
rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. What does that sound like? A good course of uh, uh, a good course for us to bring our children through, right? Do they need to be taught? Do they need to be rebuked sometimes? Do they need to be corrected? Do they need training? Absolutely. So he's saying all Scripture is designed for that so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You could teach your kid to hit a ball a mile and miss it completely if you don't teach them to follow the teachings of God's Word. We need to remember how important it is to put the right teaching into our children. And Sometimes dads were so caught up in the world's idea of making sure our kids look successful that make us look good that we're not doing the job we need to do of impressing upon them the teachings of scripture and dads need to take a primary role in that in their children's lives now moms we need to do it together right uh we need to to partner in that if we can but but dads it's, a, it's an awesome responsibility that we need to use our words use our example to teach and impress upon our children the scriptures because scripture is God-breathed and it, it will help bring direction into our children's lives, which is the second thing, and that is our words have the power to direct as well. What a great thing. Look at verses 3 and 4. We put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. We could turn the whole animal when we do that. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So if we take God's word, which he says is useful to do what God's called us to do, right? It's, it's got the power to do what, what God wants it to do in our children's lives and, and those that we're trying to influence. So he's saying take that and understand that with that word, with that example that you can set and the words that you can say, you can direct the lives of the people that you're teaching. Now, sometimes the best way to direct your children is uh, like uh, with a boat. The best way to get a boat across the lake is to paddle from the rear. <laughs> I, just, I heard that joke. I had to use it, so I've worked it in. But... Whether you actually paddle or not, the idea is this. We need to direct our children. Uh, there's a trend that I'm seeing. I've been seeing for a while now that to me is one of the worst deceptions of Satan in the world. And that is you're letting your children direct your families instead of you directing your children. We're letting children decide if they're going to go to church or not. We're letting them decide if they're going to go to class or not. We're letting them decide if, if we're going to, to make God a priority in our homes. We're letting children run the house instead of parents directing their children. See, the role of the parent is to direct the children, not to let the children direct you. And if you don't make it an option of whether or not you go to church or not. I can't believe parents that will say, Honey, do you want to go to church today? Well, of course not. A young teenager is going to want to sleep all morning. They'll sleep till 1 o'clock if you let them. Of course they're not going to say, Oh, yeah, please, I want to go. Don't give them the option. You're the one directing their lives. Now, when they get on their own, they get out on their own, actually independent. They get to make those choices. But until then... You are supposed to be directing them. We need to do the job that God has called us to do. And there's great potential and power there. In Ephesians 6 and verse 4, he said this. 
Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The, uh, all of that is important, but there's a word there, training, that in the Greek is, is a word that means to go into training like for the Olympics. Have you ever seen the training that Olympic athletes go through? It is one of the most vigorous, exhausting, consistent, over time training regimens you could ever imagine. Or they don't make it to the Olympics. That's the only way they're going to get there. Well, he says, fathers, that's what we need to be doing for our families. We need to invest that kind of training effort and raising up our children in the Lord. Anything less than that, it's just not going to get the job done. Especially in a culture that is so ungodly now around us. We need that even more. So... It is in the word, uh, there in the scriptures, in, in our speech, there is the power to direct. And there's also the power to praise. And, and what a great use of speech, right, is praising God the way God deserves to be praised. Look at verse uh, 9. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. Now, he also gives the counter to that. We'll deal with it in a moment. We also, with the tongue, can curse human beings. But he's saying... The first half of this is something we should be doing, right? We should be praising God with our speech. And, and I'm afraid that all too often what our kids are hearing from us in our homes and in our, in our daily walk is not necessarily praise of God. We're critical of the church. We're critical of other Christians. We're, we're, we're critical of, you know, uh, how bad it is and how hard life is. And that's all they hear from us instead of actually praising God for the blessings that we have. He says, with the tongue, we should be praising the Father, praising God. Our children need to hear that no matter what's going on in our lives, we are still giving praise to God. And... It's not just praise to God, but we can also, because he says we can curse human beings with a tongue. Well, what about instead of cursing them, we also praise and encourage human beings too. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11, he said this. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. You see, we can use the tongue to praise and build other people up, can't we? That's one of the greatest, powerful, most powerful uses of the tongue is to praise and build others up. Now, I'm not talking about false praise. I'm not talking about flattery here. That's not what he means. He's talking about genuinely encouraging other people. When they're doing something good, when they're trying to do the right thing, and they just need some help and some encouragement, when they're, when they're struggling, but they, they, they're trying to hold on, a word of encouragement is the greatest thing you could do for them. All too often, though, instead of encouraging them, we criticize and tear down, don't we? You see, the tongue can be used either way. But it has the potential to be a great and powerful encouragement to other people if we will use it that way. But potential is only potential, right? The only way to realize the potential is to do it, is to actually use it for those purposes. So we all have that potential in our speech. We have that potential that we can, we can certainly instruct others the way God wants us to. We can direct uh, lives of those coming behind us the way we should. We can praise God and praise others. That potential is always there. But the second thing we need to say to the, today is this, and that is that same potential is there to do the opposite. The destructive power of the tongue is there too. The destructive power of the tongue. Part of the destructive power of the tongue, he says here, is we have with our speech the ability, the power to curse. 
God and others. Verse 9 again, look at it. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we also curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. One of the biggest differences I see in our culture today in my lifetime is the profanity that's out there in our culture today. In the music, in public speech, in business even, everywhere. Just There's always been some profanity, but it seems like now there's more of it than there's ever been before. And it's just accepted and welcomed as just part of life. It's just, and, and I can understand maybe people in the world are doing that, but here's the problem. It also has crept into the life of Christ followers. And it's hard for it not to when you are around it. Maybe you work in an environment where you hear that and you see that. Or maybe, you know, you always hear the excuse, well, I was in the military. That's just part of being in the military. You know, you, you have all these things that you're around where there's a lot more of it around you. And we excuse it in our lives because we say, well, that's just, you know, it's just the influence. It's just what's around us all the time. You can't help it. But I believe we can help it. I, I can see how easy it is to control it in my life a lot of times. I don't see it as much now, but I, I still see it once in a while. I'll meet somebody new, maybe in a place of business or maybe on a flight, on a plane or something like that, and they're just using the F4 bomb and just talking bad. And then it always comes around to them asking me, well, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and I get to say, well, I'm a pastor at a church in Nashville. And it's amazing how quickly the language can change. <laughs> Could they have controlled it if they wanted to? Absolutely. Can you control it if you want to? Absolutely. It's something you can learn to do. Uh, there's a sign on a bus in London that said this. When you exit this vehicle, please be sure to lower your head and watch your step. If you fail to do so, please lower your voice and watch your language. <laughs> you see, it's a choice, isn't it? What we let come out of our mouths. Yes, we can control it. With the help of God, of course, with, with reminders from His Word, from clear instructions that He gives us, we can do that. Colossians 3.8 says this, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, Malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. It's a direct command from God. Let's stop excusing ourselves as if this is something we can't do anything about. We can. With God's help, with the presence of His Spirit and the power of God in us through His Spirit and the teaching of His Word, we can bring this under the control of the Spirit of God. We could be better examples with the speech that comes out of our mouths. And we don't have to have the cursing and the filth come out anymore. We don't. And we need to be distinctly different. Remember, he's writing this to the church. He's not writing this to the world. He's writing this to Christ followers. He's saying Christ followers need to be different this way. What comes out of our mouths should be distinctly different than what's coming out of the mouths of those in the world around us. But we also have a destructive power, he says here, to boast is the word that is used. Look at verse 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. 
someone was just talking to me yesterday, last night at the uh, fish fry. And uh, uh, James, I'm going to use your example. Uh, James didn't know I was going to do this. I didn't get permission ahead of time. Sorry, James. All right. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. James knows where I live. He can get, he can get, uh, get this. Here's the deal. He was talking about how there was a legitimate bad thing that happened and the government offices didn't take care of something the way they needed to, didn't handle things, didn't give them right information, didn't follow through like they needed to, uh, didn't have everything in place like they needed to, and it cost him a problem, and he's, he got upset by it. Well, well finally, he, he had to, to actually pay back some money that they had given him, so he went back to pay back the money, and they still didn't have some things corrected that they needed to have corrected, and he said, I just lost it on them, right? Now, I've been there, believe me. I, I've done exactly the same thing. But here's the deal. I know James probably handled it where he didn't say really bad things. I don't think James would have done that. But he did, he did speak, respond out of frustration and anger. And when we're feeling frustrated and angry, isn't it easier then not to control the tongue the way we need to when you have frustration and anger? Now, I've done the same thing. When you're tired or you're worn out or you're frustrated and, you know, things are, you know, people aren't doing what they ought to do and you're, you're suffering the consequences of it, man, it wears on you. And that's when the warning light ought to come on in our lives, right? Hey, be careful here. Satan can use this to get you to say and do some things that are going to hurt your witness for Christ. Be careful here. Be careful because this is a critical time. Where Satan can get you to cross lines that you don't need to cross. Say things you don't need to say. And once they're said, once the action is done, you can't just erase it and get it back. It doesn't work that way. You can apologize and try to make amends, but you can't ever get it back. So we have to be careful because the tongue has the power to, to boast, act like we've got you know, reason and justification for our anger, our language, or disrespect, or whatever it is we're doing with our mouths. Uh, it's a boastful, prideful kind of thing when we do that. And the tongue has the power to do that. So we have to be careful. It also has a destructive power, and that's the power to lie. And again, I'm amazed at how much more today lying is accepted and even justified in our culture today. It's amazing to me how many more people in our culture, in survey after survey, say there are situations where it's okay to lie, and the situations get bigger and bigger with our culture getting further and further away from God. If the end justifies the means, right? If, if it's for a good reason, you get something, some good result you could get out of lying, then lying's okay. But I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. In fact, in Proverbs 12, it says this, The Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in people who are trustworthy. We're making ourselves think it's okay to lie, but God says He detests lying lips. It also has the power to gossip. Another destructive power of the tongue, the power to gossip. Proverbs 26, verse 20 says this, Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. <laughs> uh, you've heard the old joke, you know, we don't go around repeating gossip, so you better listen close the first time. <laughs> uh, gossip is one of the most destructive tools of Satan. 
And the sad thing is, sometimes church people are known more for gossip than we are for anything else. If you want to get something out there, just tell somebody in the church that you know is going to tell other people. You get get it spread really fast. Now, here's the thing about gossip. We try to put some parameters around it that God doesn't put. We try to say, but it was true. Well, yeah, maybe it was true, but was it necessary? Was it beneficial? Was it going to build the person up for you to share that? Or was it going to tear them down? You see, it's still gossip even if it's true. And we couch it in prayer requests a lot of times, our gossip. We need to pray for so-and-so, you know. Why? Well, then we can share the story, right? Then we can share the news that we've been just wanting to share with somebody. But we couch it in a prayer request to make it look like we're still being spiritual people when we share it. You could say we need to pray for somebody without sharing any details of the story. You see, that's their story to tell, not yours. If they choose to tell it, that's up to them. But unless they've asked you to tell it, that's gossip if you tell it. And God hates when we gossip. He hates it. So that, that destructive power is there. It's, that potential is there. So here you've got the potential for good. Great potential for good, but you've also great potential for for hurt, for damage, for destruction. You have both of those in the power of the tongue. So how how can we have victory? That's the last thing I want to talk about just for a few moments here. The victorious power of God when it comes to the tongue. I'm going to give us a reminder of steps to take if we're struggling with our speech, with our tongues. Okay. Now, here's what I want you to know. You are potentially struggling with this whether you think you are or not okay so these steps apply to all of us they apply to everybody in the room myself included okay these are steps we all need to take when it comes to our speech the first thing is this we need to confess the problem to God we need to get real with God if you have a trouble, if you're having trouble with alcoholism and you go to an AA meeting, what's the first thing you have to do at the meeting? Hi, I'm Randy and I am an alcoholic. You have to say that, right? You know why? Because until you admit the problem, you can never, ever get better. So here's what we need to do is come before God and say, hey, I'm Randy and I have trouble controlling my speech like I need to. And you need to do that before God too. We all need to confess the problem. Here's what he says in 1 John 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, here's how God responds. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, we are afraid that if we confess sin to God, somehow God's going to be mad at us and want to punish us and do something, you know, make us suffer some kind of terrible consequences for it. That's not the kind of father he is. We need to get that out of our heads. We need to stop pretending before God anyway because what does He already know? He already knows the struggle. He's already heard everything that came out of your mouth and even the thoughts that you didn't let come out of your mouth. He knows all of that stuff already. It's not like you have hidden it from Him. If He wanted to punish you for it, He could do that anytime He wants because He already knows it. The confession is not going to bring the punishment. The confession has the potential to bring forgiveness and a purification process begins to take place. 
when you confess your sins before God. Whether it's speech or whatever other sin it is in your life, the purification process starts with confessing the sin so that forgiveness can be applied and so that transformation can then start occurring in your life. It starts with confessing the problem. And then that leads to the next step, which is repent of the sin. If you've been honest about the fact that this is a struggle, then you've confessed it, then, then the next step is to repent. Uh, we talk about this a lot at Lakeshore, but, but the problem is so many churches today are preaching believe, 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 and they're not calling people to repentance. But, but here's the deal. The most consistent command in Scripture by far, many times more than any other command in Scripture, is the command to repent. Old Testament all the way through New Testament, the call to repentance is the most consistent call of Scripture, of anything in Scripture. You know why? Because we all need it more than anything else. We all sin. We all mess up. And the right response to sin is not to cover it up. It's to confess it and then turn from it. Repentance means to turn around and go a different way. You're going down a path and you realize it's the wrong path. It's not the path God wants you to go down. And so you say, God, I confess I've been going down the wrong path. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'm now going to make a decision. Repentance is a decision that you make that you're going to turn around and start doing things a different way now. Apart from that real decision being made, nothing's going to change. You can say you're sorry the rest of your life. You can say, please forgive me from now on. And until you decide to change, nothing's going to change. There has to be that repentance, that change. And, and the original word for repentance means a change of the mind and the heart. Okay? You change the way you think about that. Here's the way you change when it comes to your speech. You no longer excuse it and say it's okay. You've decided it's wrong, and now you've decided you, wanna, you don't want to do that anymore. And with God's help, you make the decision, I'm going to start using my speech the right way now instead of the wrong way. It is a decision to turn your life around. In Acts 3, verse 19, it says this, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And here's the other part, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. When you repent, when you make that decision, God, God responds with not only forgiveness and grace, but then with refreshing. The word translated refreshing means a reinvigorating of your life now that you're trying to do it the right way. He's going to empower you and invigorate you to do what you've decided you wanted to do because it's right with Him. You see, if you decide to do something that's not right with God, He's not going to invigorate you for that. But if you decide to do something that God is pleased with, that's when He invigorates you, when He empowers you, where He helps you do that thing that you're deciding to do. So if you're deciding to do the right thing through repentance, God will invigorate you to do that thing that you're deciding to do. So you repent of sin, and then you do the next step, a really important step, ask for help. Ask for help. See, part of repentance is coming before God, not only confessing the wrong, but also asking Him to help you with the change that you're trying to make. There's a great promise in Matthew 7, and verse 8. Here's what He said. For everyone who asks, what? Receives. The one who seeks, what? finds the one who knocks what will happen the door will be opened if you ask God for help with this what's he going to do he's going to help you he's going to keep his promise to be there for you and help you with this 
He is not going to turn his back on you. He's not going to leave you on your own to struggle with this. He is going to be present with you to help you with this. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes God also works through other people. So when I say ask for help, here's what I've done in my life a lot of times. I have mentors and accountability partners in my life. And here's what I'll do. I'll go to them. Nobody else has to know. And I'll say to them, you know what? Here's something I'm trying to do better with in my life. Will you hold me accountable in that area? If you see me or hear me doing something out of line, don't be afraid to call me out on it. I'm asking you to do that for me. Now, it takes a little courage, a lot of humility. It takes a willingness to receive correction into your life. And you see, nobody will do that for you if every time they try it, you blow your top, right? And accuse them of being so judgmental, right? Yeah, you're not going to get any help from anybody if that's your response to it. If you ask somebody to hold you accountable, what have you got to be willing to let them do? Hold you accountable. Point out the problem. Point out where you're getting out of line. You have to allow for that in your life. Now, I'm going to caution you here. It needs to be a godly person, a person that you know really wants what's best for you because they love you. If you know you've got somebody like that in your life, you can ask them to hold you accountable. When it comes to speech, you can ask them if they're around you, they hear you talking, they see how you respond to people. Ask them to be aware of what you're doing and in private, not in front of everybody else, but in private to bring these things to your attention. When you've said things you shouldn't say or said it in a way you shouldn't say it or used language or words you should not have used, you have them bring that to you in private so that you can make correction and adjustment in your life. You see, you ask God for help, and oftentimes God helps through your brothers and sisters in Christ who love you and care about you. That's one way God helps you with things like this. So I want you to look for somebody like that in your life. You may think, I don't have anybody like that. Well, that, that's because maybe you haven't been that for somebody a lot of times. See, people say a lot of times, I don't have any close friends in the church. And I always want to ask, I try to be, again, use my speech the right way. And I try to say to them, well, have you been a close friend to anybody in the church? You see, you have to develop that kind of relationship with people. It takes two to develop that. And so if you want somebody that's a, an accountability partner in your life, you have to be willing to invest that into their lives to be that kind of friend to them that you're asking them to be for you. It has to work that way. You can't just magically have somebody appear to do that for you. And it doesn't come just because you are a Christian. You have to develop relationships to have that. So you ask for help, but there's one final step. It's the most important step after you're getting those things lined up like you need to, and, and it's this. Practice obedience. Practice obedience. How do you get better at anything? Practice. If you're going to get better at your speech, how are you going to do it? Practice. Practice doesn't really make perfect, but it does make improvement, doesn't it? It really helps you get better. So, so here's what you have to do. You practice. You decide, I'm going to do better with my speech. So you, you might say, all right, here's some list. You, you, you could do this. I did this sometimes. I've I, I made a list before of things that I'd say on a regular basis that may not be intentionally hurtful or harmful, but they may be taken that way. So I write those things down, and then I write down beside that how I could say it in a better way. 
right? How, how that might be done in a way that's more God-honoring, more, more uh, building up the other person and helping the other person more. Parents, I would encourage you to do this with your kids. Man, what a difference that can make. Think of ways to say, maybe say the same thing, but say it in a different way. It's going to be more the, the encouraging, directing, building up, and correcting that they need in their lives. There's a lot of ways to say something, right? Some of it can be taken really well. Some of it's not going to be taken well. You know it's not. So why keep doing it that way? Why not make some changes there on how you're going to say it? And then you practice using those new words or those new phrases or responding in those new ways. You start making yourself think about that and then do it. And here's what happens. People say, that's just a bad habit I've got. You know how you got that habit? Repetition. You know how you're going to change it? Repetition with something different. You develop new habits by repeating something different than what you were doing before. That's how lives are transformed over time is you change the habits of your life. And just because you say it's a bad habit, that doesn't excuse it. A bad habit needs to be changed. It needs to be transformed by the power of God. And with practice over time, any bad habit can be changed with the help of God. Any bad habit. I don't mean just speech. I mean any bad habit can be changed over time with practice with the help and the power of God. He is in the business of transforming lives. That's what he's best at. And he can do that for any of us and all of us. In Colossians 4, verse 6, he said, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Here's what he's saying. Prepare ahead of time so you know how to answer everyone. How do you prepare ahead of time? You do those things that we've been talking about. You confess. You repent. You ask for God's help. You ask other people to hold you accountable. And then you practice doing it a different way so that when you are in that same situation the next time, you know how to answer them now in a better way than you were doing before. Right? You're prepared with the help of God, with the speech that you need to have to glorify and to honor Him. And spending time with God in His Word is the greatest preparation you can do. The more time you spend in the Word, the more prepared you are to answer in a way that's God-honoring and God's pleasing. Well, we're closing this last thing. The most incredible use of speech you can have, the most important use of speech is found in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. But here's the thing. This passage doesn't mean just saying it one time without it being from your heart. That's not what this passage is talking about. We do ask people to make professions of faith. That's a good starting point. It's a good thing to do. But what he's talking about here is in the active tense. It means it's an ongoing profession of your life. Not just a one-time up front at church profession of your faith. You see, the way we use our speech should be God-honoring consistently over time. And it shows that we have salvation from God when we're able to do this the way God has taught us to do in Scripture. So today, maybe there's somebody here. Maybe there's somebody listening online who, who needs to take that step of making, making that change with their speech, with their mouth. And the best starting place is this. Starting today, will you use your speech to profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? Nothing is more important than that. Let's pray together. Father, we know
We know that you've called us and gifted us and equipped us and you will empower us so that our speech can be transformed into into something you can use for your glory, for your honor, that we could could make a positive difference in the lives of our children and the generations coming behind us. We could make a positive difference in our culture and our world if we could bring ourselves under your love and your teaching and your authority in our lives and how we respond and speak to people and teach people and encourage people. Father, maybe there's somebody here today that's ready to be transformed by your power and your presence. And today they can begin by using the speech that you gave them to profess faith and allegiance to your son Jesus as they make the decision today to turn their lives all around and follow Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives. Father, I pray. I pray that if they need to take that step, this would be the day that the beginning part of that transformation occurs right here in your presence. And we can celebrate it together. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.